0: Welcome back to Change Voices, where we explore the challenges, successes, and lessons of leadership through the experiences of women leaders across Africa and beyond. I am your host, Paula Frey, CEO of Frey Intermedia. Youth employment is a major socio-economic development issue across the African continent. Africa has the youngest population in the world, yet few of its government programs are targeted at this demographic but some social entrepreneurs are seeking to change that. Lagos-born Misan Rwani is co-founder and CEO of WAVE, which she founded in 2013 while an MBA candidate at Harvard Business School. WAVE tackles youth unemployment by growing the supply of work-ready youth, as well as increasing demand for entry-level staff from employers. A Stanford University graduate, Misan is passionate about supporting social innovators in scaling their impact sustainably. Misan joins us online from Lagos to share her insights on creating opportunities for young people. Misan, thank you for joining us today. So you grew up in a family which really valued education. Won't you share with us your journey to establish WAVE Academies?
1: Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I grew up fairly middle class, I would say. Um, Both my parents or my grandparents actually were in education. And so I always knew of these stories of how education was important and what you could do with it. My personal experience with education from a very young age, I loved school. I was one of those weird kids who would wake up early um, and want to go to school. I hated being late and would always pressure my mom. I don't want to be late for school. My teachers helped me learn new things, and I was fascinated by learning. I still remember sort of that feeling of, oh my gosh, you mean these things that we've been looking at called books all this time actually had stuff in them? And this is what happens when you put A, B, C, D together and words, and this is what happens when you put words together. And that feeling of potential being realized, I guess, was was what it was, even though I didn't have that term for it back then. I was fortunate enough to be bright in school um, and wanted to be a teacher at some point. And I remember having a conversation where a grown-up must have asked, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I answered, I want to be a teacher. And I still remember the words of, oh, but if you're a teacher, you know, you'll be, you'll be poor. You'll be frustrated. You won't be appreciated. Are you sure that's what you want to be? And I remember thinking, oh, huh, that's that's not right. You know, teachers shouldn't be unappreciated and shouldn't be poor. I'd never thought of my teachers as, as not well-off. But it got me thinking that one day I wanted to do something to fix this system. I also come from a fairly diverse family where not everyone was fortunate enough to go to private school. And so I would see my immediate cousins struggle to get better opportunities because of the education that they could afford, which was shortchanging them year on year. And it would lead to you know, further delays in their education as they attended Nigerian universities that would go on strike. And so a four-year degree would become seven years and you would struggle to even get into the university in the first place. And just seeing them struggle with this and realizing this was not some removed child in a village somewhere, these were immediate cousins of mine who had similar last names to myself, the opportunity gap would widen. The skills gap would then further widen because you couldn't get into the right school that would upgrade your skills. And therefore after that, the opportunity gap would widen even further and just vicious cycle. So I'd been keenly aware of that and wanted to change that system. I feel that everyone should have access to opportunity and the skills to take advantage of those opportunities regardless of their lottery of birth. And so, I want to make sure that the next kid who's born has equal access to solid opportunity. So, what, Mason, um, was
0: the inspiration behind establishing
1: WAVE? Um, I spent a few years in management consulting straight out of school. I, I, I knew that I wanted to go into the people development space, helping people realize their potential. Some people hate the word potential. I love it, but I hate when it's unrealized. Um, Taking the skills from consulting. I I spent time working with a public policy think tank. I also spent some time helping to launch a business plan competition for young people in Cote d'Ivoire who couldn't find employment. And I found myself very quickly doing a lot of HR work because we couldn't find the right talent to help us develop and implement the great ideas we had behind the think tank. It continues to be a big challenge for a lot of businesses. And I realized then that, wait a second, this education thing has several implications, not just for the people who are deprived of that education but for businesses, and if businesses are impacted negatively, so is economic development. And so putting those sort of ideas ruminating in my head, when I got to Harvard Business School, I knew that I wanted to tackle this education problem, tackle the skills problem, And it would be juxtaposed with businesses, with government, and with with communities themselves. So supply side of education, the demand side of employers, and government in between. I met fellow West Africans who were equally passionate about this problem, and we met to brainstorm ideas that could reverse the tide. But we found that there wasn't a lot of conversation around those who've already been shortchanged by the system, but still have 40-odd years of useful life in them who are underemployed, unemployed, frustrated, and we needed to do something about that more urgently. And importantly, we said, let's start with 18 to 35-year-olds. Let's start by upskilling and reskilling them and then deploying them into the workplace um, or into economic opportunities like self-employment that would garner them double or triple the income they were living on, which was less than $2 a day.
0: Why is youth employment such an pressing issue for you?
1: Oh, I think it's the biggest opportunity and ticking time bomb for the continent. Um, it, it, it comes from an altruistic place, but it also comes from a selfish place. I don't want to live anywhere else. And if my continent does not develop and leapfrog the, the, the pace of growth and development, especially my country, Nigeria, then it's not going to be safe for me to live here. So it does come from a selfish, self enlightened self-interest place. We have to make this country work so that we can hold our heads up high and walk right back to our country when someone like Donald Trump decides to call us shithole countries.
0: I mean, if you look at, um, at employment figures across the continent, I mean, youth unemployment is particularly a pressing issue, isn't it? So what do you think the biggest challenges are that young people are facing on the continent?
1: So there's a skills gap. What causes the education system to not teach people the skills that they need to transition to employment, I guess is the big question, right? How do we incentivize the school system to start teaching what the market wants? And if the school system won't do it, how do we incentivize young people to do it on their own? We believe that there's a fundamental signaling problem happening from the demand side. When you look at every job description in the formal sector, most of the time, it has a requirement for a college degree. And that's because You know, people think if I get someone with a college degree, they're going to come with certain work readiness skills. The reality is that the schools aren't teaching people that. And the more we keep signaling that it's this credential of a degree, that's going to be the minimum requirement to even get a foot in the door. Young people will keep going to schools and demanding a degree, regardless of whether that degree is empty. And so we're trying to change the narrative by telling employers, you need to start demanding for the key things that you actually screen for later on in the process. You're screening for you know, uh, ability to think critically to solve problems for the business, ability to communicate effectively, ability to work with others, ability to come up with creative ideas. You're screening for those things later on down the line, but the first thing you're telling people is you can't play this game if you don't have a college education. And so they're going to get a college education, but it's giving them nothing. Those who get a college education are developing these same skills that you're looking for. They're developing them in the school of life. They're Developing them through alternative pathways. There are lots of alternative pathways that are giving people these skills. And then people are blocked out because they don't still have this credential. And so we're trying to get employers to paint their hiring behavior to make it more inclusive. And that will signal to the supply side, the education system, that you need to start teaching people these skills. Because the reason why young people can't get even the existing jobs or the existing work is that they don't have the skills, the school system hasn't taught them. They don't have the work experience with which to develop those skills. They don't have the academic credentials that signal whether or not they have those skills. And they don't have a personal network to get a foot in the door. If we're able to give young people these things and give them a foot in the door, give them apprenticeships, get them work experience, they will start to develop these skills, showcase these skills, and get access to work. Secondly, we also need to change the mindset around jobs and work. There's a lot of work. That's where the gig economy is growing all over the world. And young people are still looking for jobs. There may not be enough jobs, but how do we prepare young people to take advantage of work opportunities, economic opportunities that will still give them the income that they require, even if it's not a nine to five. There are lots of them out there. They also require certain competencies that a lot of young people don't have. How do we start to signal to them, if you develop these two or three skills, you can also start to also access this gig economy, the workplace. And it's a lot of the same skills, how to think critically to solve problems, how to communicate effectively, how to manage time and expectations, how to manage self, how to work with others, you know, empathy, taking initiative. A lot of those skills are core skills that we learned in multiple ways. How do we help young people harness those skills, get more experience? They just really need that foot in the door.
0: Miss Anne, so how does WAVE actually help address these challenges
1: that you're talking about? So at a micro level, we started off by just training, finding the hardworking young people, training them in these skills that I've talked about and finding entry level opportunities for them to gain the work experience that would then lead to income transformation. So we have wave academies where we're training 18 to 35 year olds on these employability skills, including digital skills. And we're connecting them to entry level work with different employers, mainly small and growing businesses where they're earning twice the national minimum wage and at least can start to work their way up the social mobility ladder. In the last few years, we've realized that we're not tackling the problem quick enough and we need to sort of quantum leap the rate of growth. And that means how do we work with people who are already training people in skills? And is anything from other nonprofits like ourselves, other social enterprises, from businesses who are already building their own talent pools because they've realized the school system isn't giving them what they want. So they've set up their own institutes, their own academies, their own entry-level training programs, graduate internship schemes, you name it. It's working with governments who also want to tackle this problem and realize that they have a powerful role in terms of bringing the young people and bringing credibility to bring employers together to the same place. So helping all these entities turbocharge their own impact and say, look, if you're already doubling incomes for 100 people a year, how can we work with you by sharing with you our design principles for how you get to 1,000 people a year? Still also transform the income. It's everything from the right m and systems, the right fundraising system, but the curriculum as well. We've created, um, we've shared our, our curriculum open source so that anyone who doesn't want to reinvent the wheel and wants to use a curriculum that has already proven to move people's employability skills, they can access that. We've been working with assessment organizations because I think a big challenge around them and why they're called soft skills is that people find it hard to measure them. And so how do you start to come up with a standardized way to actually measure whether someone is adaptable, whether someone has the right critical thinking abilities, communication skills, et cetera. And so using those standardized assessments, we then work with employers to make their hiring more inclusive. Because the reason why employers are using the degrees is they say, hey, at least I know if someone Gone to university then they must know how to communicate well they must know how to think critically. And yes. we're saying, well, actually look at the assessments that actually will verify if this person has these skills, even if they haven't gone to university. And so we're looking at it as an ecosystem approach where we're tackling the supply side and the demand side issues, growing the supply of institutions that train and graduate work-ready youth and growing the demand for those work-ready youth by making the employment system a lot more effective in screening for competencies rather than using credentials as a proxy. How do we bring and convene these players together, including government, to talk about curriculum reform, to talk about apprenticeships and internships, so that we're starting to move towards a solution that gets young people ready for work? That's the name of the movement. How do we get young people ready for work?
0: Messan, you've got some incredible stories of growth amongst people you've
1: encountered. Could you share some of those with us? So in terms of stories that stick out. A third of our team is our alumni. And so every day I get to work with our success stories, Um, they come in through internship programs, and then they work their way in some cases to join us full time. And then you see them sort of rise through the ranks. And that's very rewarding as they develop more skills by working in this high intensity startup, they're able to then grow phenomenally. And, And I tell them every year, go out and market your CV with all the skills you're learning and go out there and shop for a job just to remind yourself just how much you've grown and to see the market put a value on it. I think about some of our alumni who have gone on to become middle management, now call us when they need to hire people for their teams. And so, you know, the client who was an unemployed youth is now a client in that they're an employer. I think about some of our alumni who were um, differently abled when they came through the program. And even though we didn't have the full-on capabilities to deal with their different ability, we kind of scrappily put solutions together. We had someone who was hearing impaired and we got someone next to them to write notes so that they could see what was going on in class, rotate that around. Different people would have that responsibility so that it just wasn't on one person. We've had someone come through the program who was illiterate. She couldn't read and write to it. And we just thought, you know, if you're that desperate to get a job, Job. that level of resilience and grit, you know, even if you can't read and write, we'll find a way to make it work. And I remember sitting as she was working through debates in class and she would struggle, but that resilience just kept, she kept at it. I remember another student who was visually impaired and we had to learn to use my iPad at the time to magnify the text so that he could read. People had to explain what was going on sometimes because, you know, he couldn't see in the dark if the, if the lighting wasn't right. And, and we just found ways to make it work. Um, So so those stories abound. But at the end of the day, it's really about people sort of realizing their potential, having more clarity on what they want to do in the world and just getting a foot in the door to get started. Missan, you've been an incredible
0: role model over the past six years from startup to sustaining the organization. What's next for you? How do you intend to grow in the years to come?
1: Oh, so for a WAVE, we are again at the cusp of this new strategy, which is how do we replicate how we train people, how we screen them into organizations, how we hire them into organizations more inclusively, how we work with the ecosystem at large to convene more conversations and more collaboration between the educators, the employers, the government, the curriculum regulators. So I see us playing a lot more of this role that allows us to reach exponentially more people than when we were just doing the work of direct impact. That being said, why we've been able to gain that credibility to begin to play this facilitator role is because of the learning that we have done from that direct work. Our academies now serve as innovation labs where we're constantly testing how do we make our curriculum to increase and transform incomes even more? How do we make our model a lot more simpler and cheaper to deliver so that it can reach more contexts? How do we create and accelerate the gig economy and that level of work that's available, even if they don't have enough of the nine to five formal sector jobs? How do we then partner with other organizations that train people very well in how to set up micro and small enterprises that can then be self sustaining for the individual, but also start to create one or to jobs um, and income transformation at different levels. So we see ourselves sort of as the go-to innovator in this space for youth unemployment, testing out various solutions, rolling them out across a network of like-minded partners who are also you know, sort of transforming and training these skills. And yeah, just sort of accelerating that impact. And then you want to look backwards and then see, okay, how do we get a more long-term solution in place? So that's priority group B is the young people who are in school right now. How do we start to work with the education system from secondary schools to primary schools? How do we equip their teachers with the ability to teach these life skills, which will eventually translate into work skills? We're also excited about some of the work that we're doing in that space with public school educators and already working with existing distribution systems. We're not trying to set up our own after-school programs. We want to work with the existing public sector infrastructure to ensure that every child has already the work readiness, life readiness skills to be competitive in the 21st century because unfortunately the majority of our kids aren't going to go to university at the appointed time. And so we need to make sure that they at least have the work readiness skills to get started in an income that's in the formal economy that will help put them on the right
0: path so, Missan, in all the work that you've been doing with young people, what
1: tips do you have to share? Ah, uh, so tips to other people who are training young people. We think about what is impact, what is scale, and what is financial sustainability. Um, and so, when we think about How do we transform incomes? We're always making sure that you're talking to the demand side. If the demand side is the formal sector employers, if the demand side is opportunities in your local community, whatever that is, you want to be training skills that are gonna make people competitive for what the demand side wants. In the beginning, we just felt people should know these things. We turned it into like a mini life school we very quickly realize, hey, yes, it's nice for someone to understand cross-cultural competence, for someone to understand personal finance, but our program is very short and we have to focus on a few things and do them well. So let's focus on the three to five skills that are most important to transition someone into work. And so we have to narrow down to that by listening to the demand side and by getting them involved in our curriculum development, in our training, we bring employers into the classroom, we bring entrepreneurs into the classroom to talk about the skills that they need. So starting with the demand side and having that conversation and and working with them throughout your model as you design it, as you implement it, as you review it and improve it is very important. Having an industry board of sorts, very Mm -hmm. important. That's on the impact side. On the financial sustainability side, it takes a bit of creativity and work, but try to think about one of the principles we, we talk about here at Waves. For whom value is created, value must be derived. And so getting to think that even if a young person that I'm training doesn't have the money to come to this training, but I want it to be accessible for them, what are the creative pricing models like delayments, like financial aid loans that I can come up with, like even ways for them to make income on a micro basis every day to be able to pay something towards the training fees. We have an activity where we teach our young people how to sell and we literally give them newspapers and twine and masking tape and tell them to make a paper bag as many as they can in X amount of minutes and go out on the streets and sell them. They put it towards paying for their certificate when it's done. They use it towards paying for their transportation. We were like, well, maybe we should give them the bags every day and it shouldn't just be on that day with the training class for selling. So getting creative about how you can get people to pay for your service becomes important for your sustainability. And then on the scale side, always thinking about how can you make your product simpler to deliver, cheaper. You know, we joke at Way, but we kind of half joke. We say if we could do it again, we would actually come up with an academy for employers because if employers are able to manage their talent more effectively, they will create more jobs. And that in itself will tackle the youth unemployment challenge at a greater pace than what we're doing if we're only working on the supply side. And so we started running these programs to actually teach employers what it is that we have learned about how to find the right talent, how to retain them and grow them so that they want to stay. You're working with millennials at an increasing rate. There are certain things that you need to understand about what them. Motivates millennials, And it's not just money. It's not the same job security that motivated Generation X. And so think about how to hire more inclusively, thinking about competencies, um, how to retain and engage talent based on what motivates them and, and design systems to build the right culture that attracts people. If you have the right talent, you become more productive and you create more jobs. So that's sort of how we see the ripple effect um, taking place. Are you hopeful, Missan? Are you hopeful that, um, that we can tackle the unemployment issues? I am increasingly <laughs> cautiously optimistic. Yes, I'm, I'm hopeful, but hope is not a strategy, as my dear friend would say. Yeah. Um, and so beyond hope is seeing a lot more of the decision makers in key roles start to listen to these kinds of conversations and rethink How do we rewire our education to employment system so that it equips every African youth with the skills and the opportunity to become what they imagine? We owe that to our young people. And on that note, Miss, we will end this interview and
0: perhaps check in with you again at some point to just see how things are going. Thank you very much for your time.
1: really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much. And and great job that you're doing. Excited to to be a part of this. Thank you.
0: lessons provide food for thought for anyone seeking to help young people. Key amongst those lessons are really to ensure that you're not only increasing the skills level but you're also increasing the demand for those skills. The second tip is really to ensure that we are very targeted in the skills that we are looking for and the skills that we are helping build to ensure that they meet a real need. Misen asks us to take a serious look at what value we create and how we can get those participating in our programs to contribute to the payment of those programs. She remains hopeful, but as she says, hope is not a strategy and that you have to take active steps in order to ensure that you get things to work. You can find more information about the work we do and the Change Voices podcast on our website freeintermedia.com where you can also sign up for our newsletter. If you have any specific women in mind that you'd like to hear from, or if you want to support our endeavor, then you can contact me directly at pfrey at freyintermedia.com or direct message me on social media. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss out on our next conversation. Do share the podcast with other women leaders who might benefit from the insights being shared. Thank you for your time and for joining us for today's discussion. Until next time. Let's lead.